Good evening, Steeler fans. Welcome to the Curtain Call Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Benedict. I'm your host here with my co-host on that. That's I got it right this time. Shannon White here. Uh, Shannon, how are you doing tonight? I've been a little under the weather. You know, I I, I had to miss the Steelers Hangover podcast Monday night, but I'm feeling a little better, so I, I thought I'm going to give it a shot tonight. So, I, you know, I know that everybody knows I'm more than just a, you know, pretty face and a hot body. I'm a great man. So tonight, just focus on my mind. <laughs> All right, Shannon, we'll try. Uh, with us today to talk the Pittsburgh Steelers is Nick Faribaugh from Steelers Now. Nick Faribaugh, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, guys, as always. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on. I love to talk about football whenever I can, so I'm looking forward to it, guys. Now, we were talking beforehand because Shannon and I, we knew you had you had written from behind the steel curtains, but you're saying just a couple years ago, you you were I started writing for the behind the steel curtain, right? Yep. Yeah. And now now you now you can big time us because you got you know your press credentials and you're on the beat doing all doing all that stuff. So you you've moved up pretty quickly. Congratulations on that. But we're always glad, always great to have a former behind the steel curtain writer back on back on our show. To talk the Steelers. Today's show, we're going to recap. We've been talking draft picks. We've been talking free agents, all that stuff since the draft. It seems like it's such a long time ago now. But today, we're going to recap the entire defense. We're going to talk to Nick. We're going to talk about the changes the Steelers have gone through, the problems they had last year. Have they addressed them? We're going to, we're going to just really dive into the defense and how successful this offseason's been. I'm going to start you off, Nick. Stefan Tuitt obviously was a big hole last year with him not being here. Everyone knows the run defense completely fell apart. Have the Steelers done enough to address his absence between what the growth we saw in players last year to now? Is there enough there? And who do you think is going to, who do you think, how do you think the, the weight of that, you know, emptiness there that, that Stefan Tuitt left, the weight of that, who's carrying that? Yeah, well, I think that a lot of weight, and, and this was true now and it was true before Larry Ogunjobi came on, but especially true before then that Tyson Alulu was the guy that had the burden of the world on his shoulders. And I think that was unrealistic to a degree because we got to be real here. This is a 35-year-old, long-tenured veteran coming off a broken leg. That is what yes. happened. And so – I don't know if we're going to get Stefan to it, how he was, or Stefan. We didn't know if we were going to get Stefan to it. We didn't know if we were going to get Tyson Alulu even back. And now that you see that he is back, you still don't know what version of Tyson Alulu you're going to get. Are you going to get the Jacksonville version? Are you going to get maybe a middle between? Or is he going to return to form? I don't know. He looks good out there. Um, he he had a scare at minicamp where he twisted his ankle, and we thought he might be hurt, and then that really would have sent off the alarm bells. Um, but he's a guy that has a lot of the burden on him. I think, obviously, Ogunjobi has a ton of it on him. But, again, you look at this, and Ogunjobi's going to be, well, I think, one of the three starters. And, and I think he's probably going to start that opposite five tech where you would have seen Stefan to it. And Ogunjobi's coming off a Liz Frank injury, which is, again, no – that is a significant injury. And we've seen guys not be able to come back from that at 100% ever. Um, so that is another question mark. But I think Ogunjobi – if he is who we think he is, and he is 
who he was on tape last year and who he's been on tape throughout his career, this is a significant ad. I mean, this is a very good football player. Pass rush first, so maybe not your true run stopper, which might be a little bit worrying to some people. I get the run defense uh, ideas are, are definitely an issue. But you look at a guy like Ogunjobi, sledgehammers for hands, pretty good first step. He's a guy that's got a lot of tricks up his sleeve. He's a really good pass rusher, and he's not a bad run defender, and he can play anywhere from the nose tackle all the way out to that five technique. So having that versatility with Ogunjobi is going to be nice. I think your sub-package guys, when you put in two three-techs or two four-eyes, are going to be Cam and Ogunjobi. And then I think you got you know Alu-Alu being that guy who could maybe come in in sub-packages or play the nose. I think this team's pretty good depth-wise. I, I really like the depth that they've accrued. Uh, I like Monty Adams. I think he's a guy that's really fun, uh, loves the Steelers culture, and I, he buys into that explosive hot motor, the type of backup you want, a guy that's going to mentor the young guys. Um, I think Isaiah Loudermilk is the name you got to look out for this year in terms of who could step up. This is the guy that's going to be relied upon a lot for that run defense factor. A really good run defender right now, and he's up to 310 pounds, so he is ready to go and get after it. So I think he's a guy. But if he can add something to that pass rush repertoire and get it going a little bit more there instead of just being a true two-down player, I think Isaiah Loudermilk could be really good. Uh, Chris Wormley is, uh, is always very good depth player. And then you have DeMarvin Leal, who, who knows what he's going to be. Uh, so I think, you know, reasonably to this point, I don't know what else they could have done. They have two young guys with some upside. They have two really nice vets that are Depth and Warmly and Monty Adams. And then you now have Ogan Joby, who is a legit starter. So you have three legit starters, four legit depth guys. And then you also have the practice squad guys like a Henry Mondo, a Carlos or Khalil Davis. So you have it all. So I think that this is a D-line that should be improved, that should be good. And I think the Ogan Joby signing was the key to that. First off, Nick, <clears throat> thank you for being on. Huge fan. Uh, you're my inside guy, Camp. You know, with all that information, you know, the check's in the mail. Uh, I, I do appreciate it. Um, I wrote about it this past week. I think that Okajobi didn't get the deal. They wasn't, He wasn't able to pass that physical for the Bears because he was still recovering. He was so I I question if he's fully recovered. He could be that he's close to being fully recovered and the Steelers feel confident enough that they go ahead and sign him that he'll be ready. But we haven't seen him on the field you know, at all. And we will, you know, in the upcoming training camp. Therefore I'm kind of wondering will he start out the year maybe as a, a part of the rotation. And then because if he's healthy he's a starter. I mean, based on his salary and based on his ability. But I, I think they would probably want to try to ease him in there, uh, you know, just to check out that foot. Um, if he, if they do do that and he's part of that rotation, um, do you think that you're going to see a starting lineup of Hayward, Alulu, and Loudermilk for the early downs, you know, in the base 3-4? And then you can bring in, because Okajobi is a penetrator, so he's a very effective pass rusher, more than he is an anchor in the run defense. Same thing with Adams. Adams is that quick twitch guy. He explodes into the backfield, but he ain't going to tie up two blockers. And then Wormley also, obviously, has got pass rush. So can you see that uh, being the starting th – I mean, you know, they're all going to play, but being the starting three? Yeah, so that, those were some clues I was trying to glean from in minicamp. Here's mm -hmm. the issue. 
Minicamp wasn't great for the D-line. We had the uh, Lulu scare. Cam Hayward was away for two of the three days of mandatory minicamp. And Chris Warmly, he didn't practice much. He's dealing with an injury. So mm. Loudermilk was the next man up that was playing with the starters mm-hmm. um, at mm-hmm. one point. Um, and so I don't know if, if Loudermilk's overtaken Warmly. I would expect if, say, Logan Joby, they're trying to ease him into things and maybe he's getting closer towards the start of the year and they, they say, okay, we're not going to give you full go. You might play 50-50 with someone in a rotation. I think the other guy's probably going to be Chris Warmly, um, just because of what he can do and his versatility. Um, but I think on early downs, I think that's the potential for Loudermilk to get his, his snaps there and, and his mm-hmm. role to grow there. I do, however, think if we're talking sub-package football, which I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to play a lot of this season. I think they're going to play a lot of sub-package football this season. I think we're talking about Chris Warmly there. Uh, maybe even Tyson Alulu potentially putting on that three-tech more. Obviously, Cam's the stalwart. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I think if that's a rotation, I think we're going to see more Warmly uh, in on those later downs and maybe louder milk on the earlier downs. It might just be a case-by-case, game-by-game mm-hmm. basis until maybe they're more comfortable with Joby going full-time. Looking at some of the, the younger in age players, um, we saw the difference Montrevious Adams came made when he came in last year and really kind of held down the fort to at least solidify one spot on that D-line. Uh, we saw Loudermilk's potential, but he didn't play a whole ton of snaps last season. Like I was actually surprised how few snaps he actually played when I looked up his snap counts at the end of the year. I was actually surprised. And then you bring in a DeMarvin Leal. Between those three, by the end of the season – Right when we're talking towards the end of the season, if everyone's if they're all healthy, who do you think we're seeing more snaps from between Montrevious Adams, Demarvin Leal, and Isaiah Loudermilk? Yeah, well, listen, I think they end up keeping seven guys, and we named the seven earlier. Um, So I think it's very possible we see Leal actually kind of redshirt. Um, He's got to rework his body. This is a guy that was a tweener in college, and and that's what he was. He was a guy that played edge but also played inside and he was a seven tech so he's gonna have to adjust to the to the world of full inside time things and he's gonna have to rework his body a little bit um louder milk wasn't supposed to play at all last year so <laughs> he was trying to re- rework his body right I think you know it, it all depends on Isaiah louder milk's progression in his pass rush department yeah. because he's got good hands he's got he's able to take on those two blocks he's a good uh, double space eater. He can two gap. This is a guy though that in 140 pass rush attempts had six pressures. That, that's just not going to cut it. Um, straight up, you know, it's not like he's played a ton, uh, as you mentioned. But in, in 140 pass rush opportunities, you only get six pressures. I mean, that's just not enough. So, I my early bet conservatively is Montrevious Adams because we know what he is. Hot motor guy with with good explosiveness can play both the run and the pass, can do different things, and he's a guy that's a vet, so he understands this business. He's a professional. He's a standard professional. But if Isaiah Loudermilk, and, and again, I probably will have a better answer for you after camp when we actually see Loudermilk in the pads and start to use his new moves, and he's been mentored by Cam Hayward with a bull rush, a long arm, and, mm-hmm. and we'll see if that could translate to pads. If that starts to translate to pads, I think you're going to have a tough time keeping Isaiah Loudermilk off the field. So I think Montrevious Adams is the easy yes right now, but I think Loudermilk, man, has a has a potential to have a real breakout year. Loudermilk's talked a lot about how much Cam's helped him and worked with him, and it focused a lot on that bull rush. Because, it, it, as you said, it doesn't have to be sacks. 
but he has to disrupt the pocket and then he can force the quarterback out where, you know, to the, the guys who are the sack artists. Um, Wormley has value, but Wormley was destroyed last year in the running game. Uh, and, and, you know, I never want to see another run defense like that. I, I've never witnessed that as a Steeler fan, uh, and I'm 52. So we're going up 52. So I've never seen it. Uh, we don't ever want to see it again. I, I kind of – I wanted your opinion on this. We've talked about it on previous shows. Leal was, I think, drafted as insurance in case it didn't come back and retired. He said he was like 280. Now they're saying he's 305. You've seen him. Does he look bigger? Does he carry that weight well? Or is it something that actually he would be more used if he would drop down to 270 and kind of do a little bit of Lamar Woodley uh, off the edge and give him some, you know, maybe give him more playing time that way? Because uh, some guys could gain and get up to like 300, 305, but they don't carry it well and it really affects their quickness. What? How did he look to you? Yeah, and I think that's a good point about Warmly. You look at when he was on the yards per carry, 5.1 yards per carry when he was off, to all the way to four. That's a whole yard. So definitely the stats back that up. Liao, he gained 15 pounds uh, yeah. from his time at Texas A&M Pro and now. And Carl Dunbar and Mike Tomlin were a little bit confused about because we kept asking them about it, and they're like, Oh, he did that on his own. We didn't tell him to do that. Mm. Uh, so what I found that interesting. That's not a Steelers mandated plan. That's a DeMarvin Leal thing that he thought teams wanted to see from him. But I'll tell you what, I, I think he carries it well. He looks explosive still. Uh, one of the best things that I loved about his film and what I love about him is his ability to work in tight space. I think, you know, people look at bend, right, and, and flexibility, mm. and they think, well, that's an edge rusher thing. It can work on the inside, too, when you – are especially explosive and you're trying to cut that tight corner sometimes, you know, you can get run around the arc too from the interior, or if you're, mm -hmm. especially if you're a looper or a crasher uh, in, in your, especially on your stunts, that's where that can really help. And so DeMarvin Leal looks very fluid. Uh, I think he looks explosive still. I think he carries that weight pretty well. I think the question is going to be how much that translates to actual pads, right? In Ooh. shorts, he looks fine still. Uh, I think he's a guy that hasn't lost a lot of that switch, which is always good because if he's going to be good in this league, a big part of that formula is going to be his athleticism. And, and that's why they drafted him, right? The pedigree of this guy is rare. You don't find guys that come around with this type of athleticism. I think he has that still. And it's it's not like he's carrying weight bad. Uh, he's not. Mm -hmm. he doesn't, he's not like heavy in the gut, right? Mm -hmm. You know, he looks good. He looks lean and chiseled. Uh, I, I think that was another thing, by the way, about Loudermilk that stood out to me. He's three ten. He doesn't look three ten at all. You wouldn't be able to tell that. Uh, so these guys are pretty cut up. Now I, I think that Leal is going to have to kind of work that fifteen pounds because I don't think all of it's muscle. I, I don't think you gain fifteen pounds mm -hmm. in you know this short <laughs> amount of time. It's all muscle. Uh, so he probably does have a little bit of bad fat in there, but that's going to be about the Steelers, you know, strength and training and conditioning staff, getting him in there, getting a weight training program for him, getting his diet right. That's all going to be about that. And that's why I would say, you know, he might need a redshirt year and we'll see. Um, but I think maybe, you know, he has a lot of upside. And I think he's a guy that maybe you're not expecting a super bit of year one production from him. But year two, year three, year four, you needed that guy who can maybe step in with all these vets in this aging D-line. I think he could be that guy. So 
I don't think he's a year one necessary big need, but I, I do think he's a guy that they're betting on that potential, that pure athleticism. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I, you talking about him on his arc and on the bend and how they can use that, especially in stunts, made me think of Brian Flores and how much he loves stunning outside from the nose tackle, from that zero tech alignment. Some of the different stuff he does, just you can see the potential. You can see why they would draft a LaMarvin Leal with a Brian Flores in there with his ability to kind of play like an edge rusher from inside. I do want to move off of the defensive line, though, uh, and get into – Outside linebackers, do the Steelers have their number three outside linebacker? And do they really need a a big-time number three outside linebacker like they've tried to have in the past when they had, you know, Watt, Dupree, and uh, Highsmith, and then they had, you know, Watt, Highsmith, and uh, terrible name. Ingram. Ingram, thank you. Uh, do they need a, a signing like that? Do they need to bring someone in, or are they good with what they have right now? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question because, listen, they tried to address that clearly this offseason. They've signed Gennard Avery and Tuzar Skipper. Um, so they have tried to do that. Here's the issue. Avery's been hurt, so I don't know much about what to tell you there. So he didn't he didn't practice at all in OTAs or minicamp, which is, which is tough because I think he's the one – to look for in terms of that outside linebacker three spot. Derek Tuska is pretty underwhelming in a lot of ways. Really gritty guy that's just got that hot motor. Uh, And he's a guy that has some decent bend to him, but he's not super explosive, doesn't have a huge bag that he works with. So his ceiling's probably capped at at a certain point. And then Tuzar Skipper, he's a fun camp story, and he's a really cool dude, but I don't think he's necessarily the guy you look at. Gennard Avery could be that guy. You're talking about a guy that has that outside linebacker, inside linebacker capability has played both good bend, good agility, good explosiveness, can move with finesse or power. So he's a guy that has been productive in the past. You look at some of his pass rush stats and it's not bad. Like Gennard Avery has been pretty decently productive in his ability to get pressures, but he hasn't had a lot of opportunities to do it either. You look at his, One real season where he got a ton of opportunities to pressure the quarterback. And that was his rookie year with the Browns where he started five games and he had 465 pass rush snaps, 40 pressures. Like that's not bad. That's a really good number for a guy that you just came into the league, but he's never gotten there ever since because he's been playing a lot of off ball. I mean, the highest he's had since then in terms of opportunities was 157. Uh, so he's really produced any time he's gotten that chance to get after the quarterback. Uh, so you look at four of his five seasons, his pressure rate has been over 10%. So I think he's that guy uh, you look for. The question is how healthy is he going to be? What's he going to look like? And since he's adjusting back to that full-time outside linebacker role, how does that change things uh, potentially for him? But this is a guy that is a very Flores-esque player, I would say that in particular because of his ability to rush from different alignments. Um, so I think that's going to be very interesting. So I think Avery's your main guy. I don't hate seeing them add another guy behind that, um, but I think Avery can do it. I like Gennard Avery probably more than most will. I, I need to jump back in here, Shannon. I, I do want to say uh, one of my favorite tidbits about Gennard Avery, his very first game was the tie between the Steelers and Browns. That was his very first game he played. And at the end of that game, he had the strip 
of Ben Roethlisberger that all that led Joe Schobert fortunately couldn't outrun players to score a touchdown that led to TJ Watt blocking the field goal to preserve the tie. Just, I, I find it interesting that those guys are now both like Joe Schobert was just a stealer. Jannard Avery is now a stealer, but we do have, we have a super chat here. I want, I want to make sure we get to before it goes too far up. Uh, looks like Damian King gives us $5. Thank you. Damian says, Hey guys, love the show. What happened to the dollar defense? Do you think that's something we're going to see this year, Nick? Man, so listen, I think it's it's possible. Um, I, I know that Pittsburgh is going to have a lot of pass-heavy teams on their schedule. So could they potentially do it? Sure. But then you also have to find the specific guys to run that defense. Now, maybe you have that, and maybe you're like, well, we'll play DeMonte Casey more. And that's that's kind of what your answer is to that. And again, I think that Steelers could play a lot of sub-package football this year. I think Terrell Austin's going to preach that. Um, I just I think that they lean too hard on their pass rush to go full on dollar. If we're talking the traditional dollar defense, like yeah. the Rams of the 70s dollar defense. No, but the modern type, you know, with maybe a three-three-five look uh, that they've run in the past, I think it could happen. A three-safety look, we have had that in the past under this team. Uh, Cam Kelly was the, was the the main guy back there before, and he did not perform well in that role. And we really haven't seen it since because Steelers don't haven't had that safety depth, right? Yeah. I mean, Trey Norwood is technically a safety, but he's really a Swiss army knife. So, yeah. you know, now that you have DeMonte Casey, sure. Uh, I think that that's certainly possible where we could see Minka Edmonds and Casey, and we could see Casey take over that single high role. And then you kind of open up the whole Pandora's box of what to do with Minka Fitzpatrick. And that's the possibility I think that should excite you. <clears throat> the everybody, I, I know I'm expecting a big, another step forward for Alex Hasman. Um, you know, I've been uh, like the unofficial president of his fan club here at Behind the Still Curtain. Yeah. Uh, since I watched him, I've always liked to watch Clemson during the the uh, Trevor Lawrence days. And when they played Clemson, I'm watching, and I couldn't tell what he was. I didn't know if he was an edge. I didn't know if he was an interior linebacker. Uh, you know, at times, you know, he was moving around, doing whatever they needed, and he played an incredible game. And they were incredibly overmatched. And, you know, where Dabo Sweeney said he was the best, that was the best performance against Clemson that year. Um, so when he came, when the Steelers took him, you know, you could tell right off, you know, the, the guy goes from being a walk-on to being a third-round draft pick. But, you know, he still has work to do. But he's, he's made improvements and progressed every year. So he had to get stronger and more explosive to set the edge and be more explosive. He did that last year. And I've seen people say, well, he's not that good a run defender. I thought he was excellent last year. Their run issues were not him. It was Wormley and the nose guard. There's where the, the holes were and everything. I mean, he set that edge, and he did a good job. Uh, and he's got – you know, he's jacked. I mean, you see him. He's really added a lot of muscle. But Kemp, he's actually more quick. To yeah. me, he's, the, he's that key guy this year. Um, if he can – you know, take hold up like he has in the run game, but you know, add a little bit more, and he's such a hard worker that he can finish some of their plays where he got close last year. You know, say 
finish five more sacks, you know, and end up with 10 or 11. That's going to make it to where they'll be in more favorable positions, like you was talking about, maybe using a three safety look. And because Terrell Edmonds is a lot like a linebacker, a small linebacker. My biggest concern is I don't like our inside linebackers because we don't have a buck. I don't. I think Mac is and Bush are too similar, and neither one of them is a true buck linebacker. I like Buddy Johnson. I think he could do it. Mark Robinson, you know, has a, he's just so raw. He's got to make the team, and then maybe in the future. Do you? How do you feel about that inside linebacker position? Do you think that that a Jack Bush tandem could actually work? I think. Yeah, I don't. I'll say this: Mac and Buck in this NFL are very different uh, than they were before. Even 10 years ago, five years ago, even, you know, when Vince Williams was roaming out there, it's a different game, right? The, during the Shays, even from Shazier to Williams, which is probably the best inside linebacker duo of the past seven, eight years for the Steelers team. Like that's a different NFL than it is now. And so here's the thing, you know, when you look at, this modern NFL and the Steelers have started to realize this because they are going more and more away from the traditional buck linebackers they've had, uh, which is why they sign miles Jack and they're starting Devin Bush. It's the athleticism that they want and they want that coverage ability. The thing about Devin Bush is he can work as a buck in a different way than say a Vince Williams could. And what that is, is it's not going head on with the guard and shedding the block. That's his weakness. But what Devin Bush could do, especially if the knee is healthy, is, well, he's going to get around everyone. No one's going to be able to reach him because he's quick, he's explosive, and he's going to be able to scrape over the top. And so when we talk about bad D-line play, well, who's going to be hurt worse than the guy that doesn't shed blocks because he's 5'11 and lacks length? He doesn't win like that, right? He wins by avoiding you. So it's a different age of linebackers. And so in that sense, you have a different type of buck. But if you get good D-line play, Devin Bush can be a highly effective buck linebacker. And that's the thing. Bush is not great in coverage. I think you know everyone just thinks just because you run a 4-4, you're good in coverage as a linebacker. This is not true for everybody, right? Uh, so it can be true. And Miles Jack, that's what he does. It's, it's, it's his specialty. Miles Jack is the best coverage linebacker this team has had since Ryan Shazier. Easily. And, and you can see it. His fluidity in his hips, his turns, it's different. And, you know, Miles Jack's coming off a down year too, but I think he could be fine. Uh, I think that there has to be some trepidation about the linebacker room, though. And I really do. Uh, maybe not because they don't have a buck. I'm just not sure they have a second quality linebacker. Um, you know, do they have, if they had two max, you can live with that because you can do different things with that. You can play more sub package football, for example. Um, and Terrell Evans is a fantastic run defender. So maybe you could acquire his help down in the box more, mm. but you don't really, is Devin Bush going to be good? I don't know. You know, I, I'm, I'm not completely sold on that. I think he could be fine, but are, are we talking about good linebacker here? Are we just talking maybe replacement level? I, I think that's the mm. difference. I think, Miles Jack is going to be easily the best inside linebacker on this team by a mile. I, I love that signing for them, but I still kind of worry that it's Miles Jack and a bunch of guys. Uh, I'm I'm not a huge Spillane fan. Mm -hmm. I think he's more of a special teamer than anything. <clears throat> um, Marcus Allen's a, a sub package guy that is really a tweener but doesn't have a true position. 
Uh, I mean, Buddy Johnson is a great unknown, but had a significant foot injury. Uh, and and UG3 is, is an interesting name who wants to have his breakout year, but feels like we've been talking about UG3 for years breaking out. Mm. And then Mark Robinson, you just can't put that type of expectation on that guy right now. Um, so I think if there's a worry on this defense, it's got to be the inside linebacker room because you are banking so much on Devin Bush. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if they have good D-line play, I think Devin Bush could be a fine buck. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be a great player in there, but I think he could be a fine player. Um, but yeah, they don't have that traditional Vince Williams, uh, you know, f- signal card, that Larry foot, that James Ferry. They don't have that guy. Um, they don't have a guy that's going to smash you in your face. They don't have that guy. So it- it's going to be interesting to see. I do think that that's going to be one of the things that they're going to look for from miles. Jack too, is they're going to look for that swagger and attitude at that second level mm-hmm. the guy that's going to put everyone in position. That's going to be miles. Jack's opportunity. So we talked about the entire front seven, and I'll throw it out here to you because Keith Butler was a defensive coordinator, but since they brought in Terrell Austin, it was pretty clear Terrell Austin was was doing a lot of the scheme work with the secondary as they did a lot of stuff that that Keith Butler wasn't running in 2018. (laughs) Uh, Keith Butler goes, Terrell Austin takes over defense coordinator. They bring in Brian Flores. It seems to me like Brian Flores' linebacker coach position is kind of the same that Keith Butler held when Keith Butler was the defense coordinator, which is he's in charge of the front seven, mostly. Like, it, it's never a pure division like that, but you, you get what I'm saying. Uh, with this front seven, how big of a difference do you expect us to see in the tradition, in the transition from Keith Butler and Terrell Austin to? Terrell Austin and Brian Flores and how these players are used and what we're used to seeing and in the kind of, you know, usage of the front seven and blitzes we're going to see coming forward. Yeah. Well, I think you're going to see different blitzes. Um, doesn't mean you're not going to see your, your traditional fire zone blitzes that they love and, you know, your slot guys, you, you probably will see Arthur Millette coming off the edge a lot still. Um, but what I think that Brian Flores does a really good job of is, you know, he will, do different things to switch. People think this, you know, say you're running 12 personnel, you can switch strength calls. The defense can do the same thing. I don't think people know this, um, but you can stack edge rushers to one side. And this is what he'll do. It's called overloading, obviously. Uh, that's that's what you will do. And so that's what Brian Flores has done a lot of. He did a great Miami. So you look at guys like Kyle Van Noy, Alandon Roberts. We're talking about these types of names. That's the type of stuff they do. They can overload one side and create a lot of pressure that way. He, you know, he takes different tracks with his looks. So he blends a lot of the same looks with different blitzes, um, which I like a lot of. Uh, he likes to do a lot of double A gap blitzing, which is something the Steelers just don't do. Um, so he likes to do a lot of different blitzing. So are the Steelers going to keep Keith Butler, Dick LeBeau's style blitzes? Of course they are. Mike Tomlin's never going to throw that away, but adding the spice of, say, overloading one side to a blitz call, disguising your slot corner and bringing the backer instead. Uh, I'll I'll overload this side, but actually he's stunting inside and crashing the B-gap. We're talking about disguising stuff. I don't think Keith Butler did a great job of disguising his blitzes, which didn't matter because his blitzes were so well-schemed anyways, and he had the personnel to run them that they were really good. But Brian Flores is going to add a different wrinkle to that where quarterbacks aren't going to be able to say, man, that's my hot read right there. That's going to be open because that's something the Steelers have been really burnt by in the past. They're so heavy on the pass rush 
that you can hit a quick six yard slant. I'll go for 25 yards. And you know, the, the hot blitzes, you, you can't get, they, they always get hot on the Steelers because that hot route's always open. Brian Flores is going to be able to mix and match different things and really allow this thing to open up. You know, he'll use a spinner um, a lot often in, in the sub packages. He'll use different things. Uh, he'll roam TJ Watt. And we saw this a little bit last year where, where Watt would sometimes line over the A-gap a little bit. Um, but we'll see that probably a little bit more. So we'll see a lot of diversification of what we see uh, pre-snap. And that's what makes Brian Flores a lot of fun, I think, because he's a really good blitz-minded Man, Keith Butler was one of the best, too, in terms of that. And so you replace him with Brian Flores, one of the few people who can probably upgrade on it. Well, there's a question that I'm sure everyone in the chat is wanting to me to ask. And it's the elephant in the room. Keith Butler is no longer with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Do you think that Austin and Flores are prepared and capable to prepare for Tyler Eifert. Oh boy. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's very, I mean, that is a worry I have because regardless of the week or the game or the opponent, we knew that Keith Butler had a plan just in case to stop Tyler Eifert. So uh, I, I just wanted to see if, if you thought that, uh, that, that the new guys can handle that um, because, you know, that could be a concern this year. Yeah, I mean, that could be a concern. Um, and I was immediately reminded of uh, the Tyler Eifert quote that, that that Keith Butler snafued on when he was out for the year. Um, but, oh, my goodness. I knew yeah, you would know what I was talking about. Yeah, I, I immediately was reminded of that. I remember writing an article about that. And that's, like, where it came from. And I was like, oh, crazy stuff right there on the Tyler Eifert deal. But players like Tyler Eifert are going to be unicorns, too. Um <laughs> Like they really are. I mean, Tyler Eifert upgraded is like Darren Waller. So good luck. Uh, the Steelers, I don't care if you cover Darren Waller, Kyle Pitts, uh, Travis Kelsey, whatever, man. Those are good. Those guys are problems. Regardless, you got to do great things to take them out of the game because they're six foot seven wide receivers. Uh, that I have to apologize because I, I put you on the spot with that one, but I knew you would know what I was talking about. I, every time I think of Kate Butler, I always think of Tyler Eifert. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm sure he's somewhere out now probably fishing and, you know, and he's still thinking, how am I going to stop Tyler Eifert? But, um, <laughs> now, do you think that uh, Kazee, I think I'm saying his name right, we've talked about him in the past, uh, what a great deep safety he is and how that having him out there would free up Edmonds and Fitzpatrick to do what they do best. Um, and I think it will, you know, he's, it should be a seamless trans transition from his past experience with the Falcons and the Cowboys uh, coming into this defense. Um, have you heard anything uh, about him and, um, and how they might be, you know, his usage this year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Casey's pretty interesting because he's the first true backup free safety. I think they've had for Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, I really believe that. Um, and, and Casey's interesting because of his ball skills and he's a ball hawk. Uh, and, and that's what Terrell Austin's all about, man, is ball hawking. Uh, so, so that makes sense to me. Now, Casey, I think has the potential to be a lot better than that contract says. Um, he was really good 
before his flurry of injuries hit him. And he hasn't fully recovered from that. Maybe he's lost a little bit of juice athletically uh, in regards to that, so doesn't have a ton of range, as much range uh, anymore. But he can cover ground. So when when we look at KZ, right, he's going to be your main backup. So Minka Fitzpatrick gets hurt, that's the guy you're throwing in. Um, probably, though, I would say this. If you run with KZ and Edmonds and, and Minka ever gets hurt, you're running a lot more too high than single high stuff, uh, which is interesting because – they run a ton of single high with Minka, obviously. Uh, and, and so, you know, that's that's the question. But I think KZ also could be that third guy, uh, potentially. He could also be the dimebacker. Right? I think he's probably going to be competing mm-hmm. with a guy like Trey Norwood for that spot. Um, he's, he's a guy that you can use in different ways and kind of mess up, mess with your rotations a little bit. Uh, bring Minka down over the middle of the field as a buzz defender. Uh, or, or maybe use KZ more as that curl flat guy and let Minka go up and do what he does best, ball hawking deep routes and stuff like that, or jumping that deep backside dig, uh, stuff like that that you look for. And Terrell Edmonds is also going to help that because Terrell Edmonds has developed the ability to play both in the box and deep, um, which has really helped open things up with respect to Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, So I think KZ is going to have a lot of versatile usage. Uh, I think that he opens up a lot of boxes. And also the biggest thing for me is that if Minka Fitzpatrick gets hurt, you're no longer in a doomsday scenario. So no longer will you have Trey Norwood trying to stop Justin mm-hmm. Herbert and that team mm-hmm. against the Chargers anymore. You'll have a you'll have a capable veteran guy that has played that position and I believe is at least decent enough uh, to give you that spot start. Now you talked a bit about Terrell Edmonds. Uh, I was I was a little bit surprised by I saw it. I mean the Steelers started doing. Uh, a lot of seven personnel, even against uh, seven player fronts against even 11 personnel because they were struggling with, with run defense. And so you started seeing Terrell Edmonds in, a, in the slot a lot. And after the season, I was, I was looking at statistics. I was looking at snap counts. And Terrell Edmonds had the most snaps aligned in the <laughs> slot of any Steeler last season, which was a bit surprising to me. Uh, it's a little there's a, there were some injuries and some things like that that, that probably that caused him to actually be the leader, but I was surprised at how much of the time he was this the guy they put on the slide like he was he was playing that nickelback re- corner role. Do you see that being something the Steelers could go to again this year? I know they brought back Arthur Millette, but Millette was like solid. He was he's no Mike Hilton like he's not that level of player. Or do you think do you think you could see Trey Norwood step up and get more slot snaps? What do you what do you see happening with that like kind of nickel uh, slot coverage role? Yeah, well, I always think that Edmonds, you know, in respect to the slot, and and you know, there has to be context to those slot snaps because there's different types of slot snaps. Yeah, obviously. and I think a lot yeah. of it was him as the overhang, which is which makes sense. Um, yeah. And a lot of it was also him on tight ends, which is actually what he's really brought to this team is. You know, you look at a lot of tight ends, good tight ends against the Steelers, and they don't completely break the game anymore because Terrell Edmonds is usually there. Um, now, obviously, guys like Darren Waller and Travis Kelsey will usually get their their bread, um, and that's just the respect of yeah. the game because those guys are freaks, and some of them are, and they're the, some of the best tight ends that's ever stepped on a football field. Um, but I think when you look at the slot stuff, I think there is a lot of questions regarding that still. You know, are, they all do different things, right? Arthur Mollette 
is more of a blitzing guy, not really good in man. Norwood, not great in man, really good in zone, really smart player, though. So if you're playing a lot of zone coverage, that's your guy. Edmonds, probably not the guy you want in man coverage all the time, but if you give him up against a bigger guy, he's got you. He plays with that physicality. He can play in the overhang role. Minka can play in that role. Again, not a great man coverage guy. And so this leads me to believe your best slot option is probably Cam Sutton. Um, I think that Cam Sutton, you know, played a lot outside last year. I think he's better in the slot. I, I think that, you know, in that role, he's able to use his football IQ and his above average quickness at his best. You know, he was playing a lot to the field side, to the boundary side rather last year. And that was an interesting fit um, to say the least. You weren't pushing Joe Hayden off the field side. Um, so, you know, it, it's a question of, what are you going to do with Cam Sutton now that Levi Wallace is here? Akella Witherspoon is going to start, regardless of it. He's earned it from what he did last year. But it's tough for me to see Levi Wallace, say, bump inside, uh, rather than Cam Sutton play there. Now, if Sutton has an unbelievable training camp and preseason on the outside, and you're like, we got to start this guy on the outside, then you're probably in a rotational role at that point. And then when you go to nickel, that's probably when you bump him inside and stuff like that. Um, but I think Cam Sutton, everything points to that. You have to be willing to sacrifice the Mike Hilton physicality, and obviously they love what he can do because he's essentially a Sam linebacker for them. That's what Mike Hilton was. He was a Sam linebacker that was 5'8 and had the heart of gold and heart of steel and no fear uh, in his eyes. But I think that you look at a guy like Cam Sutton, you say that's our best man coverage guy in the slot, that's our best zone coverage guy in the slot, and he might be the smartest player legitimately uh, you know i've talked to a lot of guys on the defense cam hayward minka all of these guys cam Hay cam sutton might be the smartest player on that defense football wise so makes sense for me for him to be that slot because you can also use him in different areas well gb and me uh and i'm sure you as well we're all we're huge joe hayden fans but he'd lost the step last year even before the injury he was he wasn't the same. He mentally he was. I mean he he's brilliant and he would you know help people get lined up right and but he wasn't the same. So you knew they weren't going to want to give him the money he was wanting and that he was going to be moving on. I think that having Levi Wallace is actually a pretty significant upgrade compared to what they had with Joe Hayden last year. To me, a lot of people say the Steelers have three CB twos. But on this defense, to me, Levi Wallace is very close to being the Steelers CB1 um, because he is an all-around corner. He can play zone. He can play some man. He, you know, he tackles, which is Witherspoon's big weakness is his physicality. Uh, do you see Wallace being the Steelers' best cornerback this year? Yeah, that's a tough question because, truth be told, Akilla Witherspoon, Cam Sutton, and Levi Wallace are all solid cornerbacks, but not cornerback ones, um, yeah. which is the truth there. Now, Levi Wallace and Akilla Witherspoon are really good man coverage corners, which opens up the whole cachet for this defense. That's what made this defense a little bit different at the end of last year when the Steelers made their push towards the playoffs. It was Akilla Witherspoon's ability to cover up a lot of weaknesses because he was so good in man coverage. Levi Wallace is one of the best man coverage corners in the NFL. You're going to see that uh, this year. He's a really sticky player. He's not super fast. Like, he's not a great athlete, like, by any means. Mm -hmm. You don't look at the guy and say, phenomenal athlete. 
but he's really fluid. He's a smooth athlete, which is what matters. And he's a patient player. He's a really smart player too. Understands his assignment, plays to his leverage, always knows where his help is. He'll get guys in, and he's essentially the new Joe Hayden because of what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, not a super athlete, but a guy that has good ball skills, a guy that really understands what he's doing and doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And and Levi Wallace is a real fighter, and you can see that through his journey. You know, you say, oh, he went to Alabama, but he was an undrafted free agent that ended up starting a ton of games for a really good defense in Buffalo. A really and, good defense. And he was a walk-on in Alabama. He was a <laughs> so he, he's had this perseverance Ooh. to him. And so he's really a junkyard dog in terms of his mentality. This is a really solid player. I like what you see in Levi Wallace. Mm-hmm. I think it's realistic he could be the best corner. You know, I don't know which Akilah Witherspoon they're going to get. Are they going to get the last eight weeks of Akilah Witherspoon? Or are they going to get, you know, up and down 49ers Akilah Witherspoon? Mm-hmm. Now, that's the question of the season for me, and that's where your concern lies in the secondary. But, yeah, I could see a very easy scenario where Levi Wallace, who is this kind of consistent guy, mm-hmm. this this even-keeled guy that really doesn't have bad games, to be quite honest with you, could be the best corner on this team. All right, Nick. Thank you very much. Uh, we're out We're out of time for our, for our show here. Before we, we go – got to ask you one more question. Okay. My article today, I said, who is the best pure athlete in Pittsburgh Steeler history? Oh, that's a good one. Now, I, in, in, you know, I've made the decision for the article that I chose Mel Blunt, that he, he barely eked out ahead of Rod Woodson. And, of course, a lot of people said Troy. And, you know, who do you think, you know, on the spur of the moment, I'm putting you on the spot, who is the best pure athlete in Steeler history? Tough one. Um, yeah. Steers are weird because they haven't had a ton of freak receivers come through the, the team in terms of athlete. Um, so, like, that's probably out. Um, yeah, I, I, I really have a hard time arguing Mel Blunt. Um, he's such a freak of an athlete for what he did. And you just watch him for his size, and you see why he changed the game because he was mm-hmm. just such a phenomenal athlete. He had the speed, the explosiveness, the quickness. He had the whole package, the height, the length. Like if you build, if you go into a lab and want to build mm-hmm. a corner, you're probably coming out with Mel Blunt. Um, so like that's probably who I lean to. Rod Woodson's another great answer. Um, another really good athlete as well that probably doesn't get as much talked about would be. You know, maybe a guy like a Greg Lloyd who was really explosive back in the day. Uh, You can even, like, I don't know if people realize this in terms of his athleticism, but, like, go and look at a guy like T.J. Watt. Like, I, I, you know, his athleticism is unbelievable. Now, I think that this the answer to your question is probably – Mel Blunt, but, but TJ Watt was an unbelievable athlete too. I mean, mm-hmm. you're talking about a freak in that regard. So he's probably up there as well. And the offensive players, I mean, they haven't had a ton of freak athletes there. And freak athletes they have had haven't turned out so well. So everybody freaked me out. One person today said Chase Claypool. I said, okay. oh, it's the end of the discussion. End of the discussion. No. <laughs> I would, you know, Claypool, Claypool has that athleticism. That <laughs> he's athletic, yes. But like I mean, that's he's Claypool's build up speed too. Like he's not if he was like Megatron, then obviously, but yeah. like that's not yeah. him. 
like maybe maybe like an underrated choice would be like a Zeroway or something like that like who yeah. you like that, like he was a really great athlete yep. um but like not a good football player well but, but like not, he just, wasn't bad but he wasn't great uh so i'm going mel blunt man that guy was literally everything you want in a corner definitely you think justin hunter you know, I, I don't want to say that Chase Claypool's ever going to be that bad. You know, look like Tarzan, and play like Zane. You know, but Justin Hunter was a freak until he got on the field, and then he didn't do anything. So till someone touched him, till exactly. someone touched him, he was he but was unstoppable. Nick, that was a until, great until answer. Put a hand on him. Great answer, and you agreed with me, so I applaud you. <laughs> so I got I got to bring up one of the guys from the comment. Ryan Shazier was obviously an absolutely stellar yeah. athletic <laughs> specimen who. When he came, when he first joined the Steelers, he was much more an athlete than a football player. But by 2017, he yeah. was just out, outstanding player. Yes. Uh, so he's he's another one. All right, yeah. we we're, we actually three. do have to get going. Yeah, I'll just Cheer. say the top three might be. I I think your top three are actually Blunt, Woods, and Shazier. I think that's fair. yeah. I think it's pretty safe. TJ Watt, like just just pushing it. But yeah, Ryan Shazier over TJ Watt. I'm, TJ Watt's fantastic football player, but Ryan Chazier was more athletic. All right, before we go, uh, Nick, let people know where they can get your stuff, where they can hear you, all of it. Yeah, guys, feel free to follow me on Twitter at FarabaughFB. That's F-A-R-A-B-A-U-G-H-F-B. Read my stuff at Steelers now uh, and check out a lot of my podcast stuff and all of that over on Pittsburgh Sports Live or on YouTube and all of that. So make sure to go check that out. Absolutely. Shannon, you got anything coming out you want to plug? Well, no, just that article today, you know, uh, and that was a lot of fun. And uh, then I'm working on an article about Alex Highsmith, and that'll be hitting pretty soon. So, But I just want to say thanks again to Nick, and, and uh, it was great having you on the show, and look forward to those training camp reports. I'll, I'll say I, got, I, have a, I have the Vertex coming out with Dave uh, Schofield. This week, it's on Chase Claypool, who we just talked about, and how the Steelers can uh, use him better in 2022. So be looking for that. It's actually, I, I think it's one of our really good ones. Of course, I always think we're good. But we'll look forward to that. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you, Nick, for coming on. You've been a great guest. It's been a great show. Have a great week, everyone. And as always, let's go Steelers. Stop and check them out.